from UNH Cooperative Extension. This is Overinformed on Tree Fruit IPM. when I was a PhD student, I attended the national meeting of the Entomological Society of America in Reno, Nevada. I had a funny conversation with a cab driver while I was there. He was, you know, doing the cab driver thing, asking me why I was visiting Reno. And I told him about the meeting that hundreds of entomologists had descended on his city. And he thought that was very funny. People always do for some reason. Um, he said, oh, well, you study insects for a living, huh? I'm surprised you haven't figured that out yet, (laughs) which is a very funny thing. Um, And I said, well, you know, things change, climates change, the crops, insects attack change, and more importantly, the tools we use to study insects change. Um, There's plenty to study. So he immediately put two and two together and brought up the pine beetle. There's this tiny forest beetle that was wreaking havoc, and I think it still is, in Western North America at the time, uh, causing massive deforestation well beyond its historic geographic range. Part of this was likely due to milder spring weather, which allowed for earlier development of beetle populations, which in turn allowed for additional generations of those beetles during the growing season, and therefore an explosion in population. So there is this moment where entomology was shaping this cab driver's environment, and we entomologists were still studying insects. So today's episode is about uh, a pest of apples, really the insect pest of apples here in New Hampshire, which we've been studying for decades, and that is plum curculio. There is a rich history of research investigating critical aspects of its biology and developing new tools for Apple IPM, which we'll dig into today, but first the basics. Dr. Eaton has written a great fact sheet on plum curculio, Pest fact sheet number five, which is available on the UNH Extension website with photos and all the important information you'll need, but I will summarize here. Plum curculio is a key pest of apples, pears, blueberries, peaches, cherries, and its personal favorite plums. Now I say key pest because if you grow tree fruit east of the Rocky Mountains, plum curculio is an insect that will be part of your life. It's this little bumpy brown mottled weevil. It's very cute if it didn't cause so many problems. Um, A weevil is a type of beetle. Some people call weevils snout beetles because they have these long snouts, kind of look like an elephant trunk with a set of chewing mouth parts at the end of these snouts. Adult curculio can and do chew little holes in fruit, which is a cause of minor injury later in the fall, but the much bigger impact of plum curculio is in egg laying. Plum curculio overwinters as an adult in the soil or under leaf litter, and they will emerge in the springtime. Um, They'll kind of hang out in the orchard, do their thing, eat blossoms and leaves, uh, find mates, At fruit set, actually, when these little baby fruits or fruitlets are six millimeters or a quarter inch in diameter, a female will chew into the fruit for a place to lay her eggs. 
This damage will normally result in fruitlets dropping to the ground in June, which is great for the curculio larvae developing the fruitlet as they eventually will crawl out and pupate in the soil. Also compared to the softer flesh of a growing plum, eggs that are laid in the growing apple fruit will likely be crushed in the process. Actually, this is the cause of the characteristic D-shaped curculio scar seen on apple fruit at harvest. Um, A healed over scar from that female cutting into the fruit is conspicuous, but it's just cosmetic. There's no little worm in there. Obviously, this is a more serious pest in the softer fleshed fruits of peaches and plums where larvae sometimes do occur in growing fruit. Those feeding scars often also open up fruit for secondary infections by fungal pathogens that cause uh, brown rot, which is a very serious problem in peaches and cherries. Best management practices for plum curculio are to protect fruit trees during fruit set. As soon as those fruitlets are a quarter in diameter, that and that's a period that lasts about three weeks, depending on what nighttime temperatures are like. Uh, protecting trees during this time not only reduces injury due to egg laying, but knocking back plum curculio populations early in the spring will help reduce future pest pressure. Consult your tree fruit management guide to select your protection approach. And remember, pesticides must be applied only as directed on the label to be in compliance with the law. So read those labels. So that's what you need to know about plum curculio management. But entomologists continue to research this insect and its management in tree fruit. So let's get over-informed on plum curculio IBM. First, let's dig into the literature. Although Plum Curculio is native to the Americas, this species was first described by a German naturalist named Herbst in 1797, and then re-described and renamed by various entomologists in 1802, 1806, 1819, 1833, and on and on, because, well, that's what people in the business of naming and categorizing species do best. The western limits on its geographic range were established by the 1910s, but one of the earliest works we still rely heavily on to this day came from the 1930s. Paul Chapman, or Chappie, a much-beloved character at the New York State Agricultural Experiment Station in Geneva, New York, published a 1938 paper, The Plum Curculio as an Apple Pest in the Station's Bulletin that year. This is still um, a paper that people rely on heavily in understanding Plum Curculio biology. Um, As time marched on, we grew in our understanding of critical aspects of biology like ovarian development, um, overwintering behavior, degree day modeling, and movement between crop and non-crop space. These are all very important factors in managing Plum Curculio. And then in the 90s, things really took off. Major advances in the chemical ecology of the species were made in several labs, including labs in New York and Massachusetts. Over the years, members of Orang Procopy's lab, like Jaime Pinheiro, Tracy Lasky, and Starker Wright, learned so much about plum curculio behavior and the chemical odors that it uses to modify 
its behavior, um, they were able to modify those behaviors in the field, bend them to their will for the purposes of pest management. Um, but we'll save that for another episode. For now, I want to come back to Chapman's 1938 paper, which describes two strains of Plum Curculio. Up here in New Hampshire, we have the northern strain of Plum Curculio, but things get a little more complicated for tree fruit growers farther south. So I'm going to need some help from my colleagues. My name is Doug Pfeiffer. I'm a, a professor of entomology at Virginia Tech. It's been known at least since the 1930s that there is a northern and southern strain. The, uh, Paul Chapman published a map in 1938 showing the distribution of the strains. The dividing line is about the mid-Atlantic area, although uh, the, the line it looks like it follows the, the, the Appalachian Mountains. And so it's not a, a strict north and south uh, d division. Now, in earlier years, it was known there was a certain amount of reproductive incompatibility between northern strain and southern strain. Uh, one important biological difference in these two strains is that the northern strain has one generation. It's univoltine, a single generation. The southern strain is bivoltine or multivoltine, meaning it has more than one generation, usually two, maybe three in the deep south. But we only have one in, in the north, which means for in the north, it's only uh, an early season problem. Now, uh, in, this, in the mid-Atlantic area, we do have both strains within the, the legal boundaries of the state. So we've, we've done some sampling of uh, Curculio in north, mid-Atlantic, and, and south to, to assay these. Uh, an early student, a master's student of, of mine here at Virginia Tech, uh, Michelle McLennan, showed that there were differences, genetic differences that could be seen using PCR to, uh, to, to differentiate the northern and southern strains. She also showed when she was doing that, that uh, Plum Curculio is infected with uh, a symbiotic bacterium, uh, Wolbachia. Wolbachia is, in, is found in most insects, and it does different things. One, one common thing that it does in the insect host is it can cause a reproductive incompatibility, a cytoplasmic incompatibility, uh, if males and females are infected with very different strains of the Wolbachia. So, uh, Michelle showed that, that we had big differences in the Wolbachia. A doctoral student, uh, Zhang Xing, had uh, expanded on this. Uh, he, he looked at more sites, looked at it in more, in more depth, and did mating trials between uh, populations in four different uh, parts of the range, New York, West Virginia, Virginia, and Florida. Uh, had more detail on the relatedness of the Curculio strains, Wolbachia strains, and he showed that there was, related to the, uh, these uh, infections, reproductive incompatibility. Do you, do you see any reason for us to fear it coming up north? That is a very good question. As, as, uh, as climates change, uh, warming winters, you know, it's, it's possible that the southern strain could expand northward. That's speculation. We haven't seen that yet, but certainly something to, to look at. Uh, you know, we, we worry about invasions of uh, new species like the this brown marmary stink bug and spotted lanterfly, spotted wingosophila. But, you know, it, it's possible that existing species uh, could have one strain replacing another, which would be much more difficult to detect.
So I guess we could certainly consider ourselves lucky up here in New Hampshire that we have the one generation to contend with. One could also say that we are lucky up here in northern climates because of work done by researchers farther south. So let's take a look at what's going on in the Mid-Atlantic. Uh, I'm Ann Nielsen. I'm an Associate Extension Specialist and Professor at Rutgers University. First of all, Plum Curculio is just an, a really interesting insect species. It is a native pest, and so that differs from a lot of our other key pests in tree fruit. So it's just a, it's a weevil pest that was, you know, kind of host switched. It switched from utilizing native plants to commercial production, feeding primarily on the stone fruit and pome fruit. In peaches, which are important to New Jersey, it is a pretty devastating pest. And in fact, in New Jersey, um, as in the New England area, it is considered one of the top three pests, if not the number one. My lab has kind of gone back to the basics. Uh, we have been looking at the biology of Plum Curculio in order to integrate behaviorally based management programs. We have done the genetic analysis. It's not published yet, but uh, we, we have the southern strain down here at the, um, in southern New Jersey. So the southern strain, what's important about that is that it has the potential to uh, have multiple generations per year. When we look at our trap catches and we look at injury and we look at harvested fruit and we look at a degree day model, all of those confirm that in fact we do have the second generation. And the reason that that's important is not only from a population growth standpoint, but also that having a second generation, especially in peaches, means you can have contaminated fruit at harvest, which means you can have a live plum curculio larvae in that delicious looking peach. Do you think there's any reason for people in northern climates to be worried about the southern strain? And, and, and should this be something that we look at in the future? Um, to be determined, we're, we're, so we're, we're well above his line for the southern strain. But Doug Pfeiffer did some research, or his, his graduate student did some research in the early 2000s um, that identified the southern strain in Virginia as well. Um, and they proposed this idea of a mid-Atlantic complex, which was a mix of northern and southern strain. Our data suggests that we have 100% of the southern strain, um, and that's consistent with our degree day information. What I think we need to do, and this is something that we're doing right now, is taking a look at all the genetic information that's available for Plum Curculio, and we'll be analyzing some of the northern strain populations as well, and just reanalyze it with more, I don't want to say modern, but better phylogenetic analysis and see how, every, how the clades line up. So just to kind of take a second look at the genetics of the population, and maybe there are some northern limits. Um, we're currently analyzing weather station data from the 1930s forward to see what's going on. So are we, have we always had the southern strain and we just didn't have the right amount of heat units to have a, a second generation or did that southern strain really migrate up and that coincided with warming temperatures? There's a lot more questions to ask and uh, it's, it's gonna be an exciting part of uh, research going forward. So now our approach, and we just got a grant funded on this, um, which is incredibly exciting. We're going to start looking at border strays <laughs> for Plum Curculio, but on top of that, we're doing a multi-life stage approach. So this kind of stems off of some of the work that Tracy Lesky and Jaime Pinheiro were doing with, in collaboration with David Shapiro-Elan 
at USDA, where we're, we're going to look at the distribution of, of plum periculio and its movement. To, and we've already documented that at least in peaches, we have a very strong edge effect. So we're going to incorporate border sprays, and then we're going to be using entomopathogenic nematodes or those beneficial nematodes to manage the larvae that are in the ground. So the hope is that um, we can target the application of these nematodes just to specific areas of the orchard to kind of spatially refine um, the application of these nematodes because, again, cost is a major consideration, and we need to time it properly based off of the degree day model. So we're really trying to integrate multiple IPM tactics here. So application of a degree day model, multiple life stage approach, refinement of insecticides and biological control application uh, together to manage this pest. So some cool stuff going on in the world of Plum Curculio research then and now. I can't wait to see what happens next. We will return to the topic of Plum Curculio and return to the issue of manipulating Plum Curculio behavior for its control. But that's all for now. Thank you to Doug Pfeiffer of Virginia Tech and Ann Nielsen at Rutgers University. And a special thanks to Jason Lightbound, who wrote and performed our theme music. Informed on IPM is a production of University of New Hampshire Cooperative Extension, an equal opportunity educator and employer. All music is used by permission or by Creative Commons licensing. Views and opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of the university, its trustees, or its volunteers. Inclusion or exclusion of commercial enterprises in this podcast does not equate endorsement. The University of New Hampshire, New Hampshire counties, and the U.S. Department of Agriculture cooperate to provide extension programming in the Granite State. Learn more at extension.unh.eu. And I was like, so to start off, why why are you still studying this? And she okay. it keeps biting apples. <laughs> it keeps biting apples. <laughs> <I know. laughs>